Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. responded to today and it was about a season, a long dry season and we all go through seasons where we feel like God what are you doing, why why is this happening, why is this season seem to be extending beyond where we're comfortable because we want a breakthrough we want something to shift we want something to change and, and I was trying to find words of encouragement to send back in the email and because I too have seasons where it's like God this should have changed by now this should be different by now and it was as I was trying to type this email that the Holy Spirit reminded me because sometimes in those long dry seasons God gives us little nuggets along the way to let us know that he's with us and that he's for us. Last week, um, it was last Wednesday night, it's been a week ago, um, I was preaching and I shared a little bit about what God has done. For our family, His faithfulness. And I threw up a picture of Eli on the screen at this church that I was speaking at. Had no idea that it would mean so much to someone who was watching at home. They were watching it online. And as I shared a little bit about Eli, and we shared it with him earlier this year, and because God has done such a miracle, it was no need talking about it. Um, But at the age of three, he was diagnosed with autism. And we were told he would be nonverbal, maybe never communicate. I watch him up here leading worship and screaming and shouting. It would be crazy for me to not acknowledge how faithful God is. (laughs) 
What I didn't know is that one of the campus pastors was preparing to take their students to a conference and he was doing some work and he wasn't able to get from his campus to the main campus. So he was watching online and he was doing, watching it at home. They were getting ready to leave the next day and I had no idea. And he's watching, he, he hears me just share briefly, just a nugget of this story. And he got up and he got his clothes on and he drove through Tampa traffic to get to the service so that I could pray with him because he has a son who is four years old and they just got the diagnosis of his son um, who is diagnosed with autism and his name is Elijah. How many know God works in mysterious ways and he fights through Tampa traffic just to get there to have somebody come into agreement and it's little nuggets like that along the way that God is showing you that he's faithful that he is a healer, that he is a miracle worker, that he is a way maker, that he has not forgotten about you, that he is for you, not against you. He's for you. So here, this is odd. I, I don't know why I've never given an instruction like this in a service, I don't think, in, in my life. And I've been in church for, I'm 44, I've been in church 44 years. But I want you to go and find one person I don't care who it is, and I want you to tell them something, one thing. Everybody in here has something that they can share with somebody of what God has done for you. I want you to go. Come on, out of your seat. Find one person. It may be he saved me. It may be he provided for me. It may, it may be one thing that God did for you. Maybe this week, this month, this year, share one thing that God has done for you. You guys are telling them. We are made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Come on, your testimony is helping somebody else. Amen. How many are thankful to know Jesus tonight? Are you thankful to know Jesus tonight? What an awesome presence of God already in this place. I'm going to share a word with you. Um, if you're telling your story, go ahead and tell your story. I'm not going to interrupt you, but I'm going to ask that somebody bring my podium out if you can. That would be awesome. I was going to do announcements and all this pretty stuff, but how many of you are okay if we just kind of flow with the Holy Ghost for a little bit? Are you okay with that? You can take this. I don't know who that belongs to. Thank you. Awesome. Good call, good call. I'm gonna dive right in. Obviously, if you brought an offering, 
you can drop it in one of the containers on your way out. There's digital ways you can give. There's a lot going on at Bethesda Church. Most of you, if you're here on the first Wednesday, you know what all is going on uh, here at Bethesda Church. So thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, and I do want to give God praise for what he's doing, for what he's accomplishing uh, through this church. Um, and there's just something uh, very, very special that God is doing. And it's, it's the, the Holy Spirit is doing a work. And uh, I've got a scripture I want to read to you tonight from Isaiah chapter number six. The, my topic is the death of Uzziah. The death of Uzziah, and I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter number 6, and I'm going to start in verse number 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. How many know the presence of God can ruin you in a good way? I, I say sometimes I, I, got, I was wrecked by the, Isaiah was wrecked. He said, I'm ruined. Like I have seen something that has changed me. I'm, I'm ruined for doing this in a normal capacity because I've seen God do something today that I've never seen him do before. And now I'm, I'm totally ruined. I'm not the same man that I used to be. And he says, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a a incredible passage of scripture and when we look at what Isaiah experienced, you have to uh, understand the reality of spiritual warfare. I'm not going to go into detail on spiritual warfare tonight, but how many know that we are in a very real war, spiritually speaking? And, and Isaiah is exposed to something here that ruins him. And, and you can see this on your own time because if you were to go back and read Isaiah chapter number 5, um, the prophet in chapter 5 is very upset. Uh, he's not in a good mood. He's in a very bad mood. He's not positive. He's very negative. Everything is, if you read chapter 5, everything he says is woe to them and woe to that person and woe to what they've been doing and woe to what they believe. Everything is very negative. There's nothing polished about it. He is not in a good mood at all. But when we get to chapter number 6, the Bible says in the same year that King Uzziah died, that's when Isaiah saw the Lord. So so Uzziah died, and Isaiah sees God in a new way, and he realizes that the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. And his message literally changes from woe, 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 
to holy, 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 all with one encounter with God. How many, one encounter with God can change your tune? One encounter with God can change your perspective. And so when we read the Bible, though, we have, to, we have to understand it's not just for historical events or grammatical things that we're looking at, that, that everything we see is, is, for instance, every time Jesus healed somebody, how many know it's, it's in the book for a reason? That we, we see it for a reason because John 21, 25 says this. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And that simply means that every miracle, every healing, every deliverance that Jesus performed had to be handpicked by the Holy Ghost to be put in Scripture for our edification. And so when we look at chapter 6 of Isaiah, he, he changes his message from woe to holy, and it happened in the same year that King Uzziah died. Now, I want to tie another passage of Scripture to it from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 13, starting in verse number 10. It says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. How many, you always going to have some religious people get mad when God starts working. I mean, you would think everybody would be celebrating, but he's indignant and because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, Jesus is bold, isn't he? Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, his adversaries were put to shame because God has the ability to put your adversaries to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by Jesus. This woman who is, is bound with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. That's why I talked about long, dry seasons where nothing is changing, nothing is shifting. You're, you don't see the breakthrough that, that you want to see. You don't see the peace or the joy or the healing or the miracle that you're desiring. But, but I believe this woman is more, prophetically speaking, speaks to something bigger than just a spirit of infirmity that was on her life. I believe that this woman can represent the church tonight because a lot of people have been raised and they've been taught a theology that is focused around um, what I want to call tonight the dust realm. She's bent over 
and in no way can lift herself up. She, she's focused, because of the infirmity, she is focused on, on what's on the earth. Are y'all getting the picture? She's not focused on what's happening in the heavens. She's focused on what's happening in the earth because of the spirit of infirmity. And so many people have been taught a theology that puts all the focus on who we are in Adam, the dust man, and we, we fail to recognize who we are in Christ, the last Adam. And so what happens is, is when we focus on who we are in Adam, we are in a posture spiritually where we are bent over, focused on things that cannot change us, focused on things that cannot deliver us, but if we could ever rise up long enough to see what God has made available in the heavens, are y'all following? Then, then we, we can get a revelation of what God wants to do because there are only two corporate men in the world, Adam and Christ. There's two corporate men in the world. You have the first Adam and the last Adam. And I believe that the American church has been guilty of teaching people who they are in the first Adam and not who they are in Christ. I've been guilty of this myself, of telling people who they are in their Adam nature. We are born into in, into sin. David said, we are shapen in iniquity. And we get so caught up on who we are in Adam that many times we never really get the revelation of who we are in Christ. And there is, there is a perspective change that has to come to the body of Christ because when we are stuck in a theology that instructs us about who we are in Adam, our, our message will sound a lot like Isaiah did in chapter number 5, when he's in a bad mood, everybody's going to hell. God's not going to show up. This is not going to change. We'll get stuck in that kind of message. But if we can ever discover who we are in Christ, then my message changes from an earthbound mentality to a spiritual mentality where all things are possible. Big, big difference. The problem is that we're bent over. We're focused on the earthly realm. But if we could ever straighten up and get a glimpse of what's going on in the heavens, our theology would change from woe to holy. It would, it, it would change from hopelessness to hope. The Lord spoke to me several years ago, and he said to me, he said, when you preach, I want you to preach and prophesy to people's spirit. Not just preach to their head, but prophesy to their spirit. Don't preach things that appeal to their flesh, but rather preach things that appeal to the spirit man. In other words, you got to know how to preach the new man. You got to be able to preach uh, about who they are created to be, not, not in the natural, but who they're created to be in Christ. I think sometimes we're guilty of preaching the facts, but not the truth. The facts are we, we're all messed up, but the truth is he who the sun sets free is free indeed. The facts are you may got a bad report today from the doctor, but the truth is by his stripes you are here. There's a difference between facts and truth. The truth will make you free. And so we got to preach the truth. When we're stuck in an earthbound mentality, we always focus on one day it's going to get better. 
One day the change will come. One day I'll be good enough for God to bless. One day I'll have favor in my life. One day my life will get better and I will be free. But if we will get out of the earthbound mentality and get a glimpse of what God is doing in the heavenly realm, then we'll get a revelation of what God, not what God is going to do, it's what God has already done. And there is a big difference. The greatest revelation coming to the body of Christ is not about what God is going to do. And the greatest revelation that has to come to the people of God is about what God has already done. There's a reason why Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. Everything they need, it is finished. I have provided for them. I have atoned for them. I have healed them. I have delivered them. Everything is already done. It's not something he's going to do. It's something that he's already done. I, I, I love this because the two corporate men, Adam and Jesus, the word of God says that you and I, we have borne the image of the earthy. That's the way Paul words it. We've borne the image of the earthy, but we will also bear the image of the heavenly. This, this, is, this is the shift that has to take place. Some of us are more conscious of who we are in Adam than who we are in Christ. And therefore, we lack peace. I'm tired of Christians not having peace. I am so tired of hearing Christians, uh, my anxiety, my depression, my, my, my lack of joy. We, we want to take ownership over all of this stuff. And we're like Isaiah was in chapter 5. He's mad and depressed. And I'm meeting Christians all the time who are mad and depressed because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know who they are in the last Adam. Um, what, what, are, what are one of the, the reasons why we're not walking in the fullness of, of everything God has? I think one of the big hindrances to walking in the fullness of Christ is the traditions of men. Jesus talked about it. The Bible says that the traditions of men make God's word of no effect. That when we get stuck in tradition, then now the word is not working for us. Because we get stuck in the traditions of men. It, it, we, we were able to see Isaiah in chapter 5 is in this bad mood. And I can almost see Isaiah because I'm a preacher. I've been doing this a long time. And there are sometimes I'm not in a good mood before I have to get up here and preach. And I can almost see Isaiah before he gets up to preach saying in chapter 5, I'm going to beat them up today. I'm going to wear the people out. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rip them a brand new one today. Y'all know how we, we, we can get. I, I'm going to wear them out. I'm going to beat them up. I'm going to chew them up. I'm going to spit them out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the people of God up. And, and, and it's because he has this earthbound mentality in chapter 5. But in chapter 6, he gets a glimpse of God in a new way. And so his message changes from woe to holy. And I think sometimes, even in the church, it's, it's funny. If I preach a hard message, I'll have people come and say, Pastor, we love it when you beat up on us. Because I, I think sometimes, I, I grew up in a church where every week you got beat up on. Every Sunday, I mean, they whipped you. Every Sunday, the message was a sin, right? What, what, what's the sin this week? 
I remember one year our pastor, and I love him. Pastor Karen knows who I'm talking. I love him, but he preached a series for 52 weeks. The title of the series was Sin. 52 Sundays I walked in there and got beat to death. I mean beat to death to the point that I started thinking this is normal. We, 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 we just always going to feel like we're worms. We're all going to burn in hell. This is normal. All right, that was, that, that's what I grabbed from it. But here's what I want you to see tonight. If preaching does not bring people to a place of hope, it will ultimately keep them in bondage. Ultimately, you got to bring people to a place of hope. They're constantly being told, hey, you got to hold up the standard, and hey, you need to do this, and hey, you need to do that. And what happens is when we're doing real well, we think we're doing real well in our self-righteousness. We start looking down our nose at others. So even if you're doing well, you're not doing well. Because this, how many of you understand, it's not about what we've done. This is about what Jesus has done. It's not about my righteousness because Scripture's really clear. My righteousness is not, it's like a filthy rag. It's not my, my righteousness, it's his righteousness. Totally different ballgame. And I've seen people sit under that kind of stuff so long that they conclude they might as well quit because they, they can't serve the Lord. But I want to say tonight, the devil is a liar. And I'm going to take, it, I'm going to take this a step further. Religious people are miserable. Self-righteousness will kill you and your relationship with God. We only think of sin as going out, doing all these terrible things. We call that sin. But self-righteousness, what it does is that it tries to get you and I to drink a cup that Jesus already drank. When you're operating in self-righteousness and it's all about you and your goodness and how great and holy you are, you are trying to drink something that Jesus already drank on your behalf. He became righteousness for us. It's not that we become right. He is our righteousness. This, this almost deceived the apostle Paul. When he was killing Christians, he thought he was doing the will of God. You think, well, how, how's that? Because he thought anybody who didn't keep the law, let's just get rid of them. He was zealous. He was self-righteous. And, and, and so religion will make you miserable, but then you start killing others. This is what happens. You become miserable, and now you spend your time talking about other people's garbage like you don't have some. I ain't going to get a whole lot of claps right there. Because we all, you know why we look at other people's sin? It makes us feel better about ours. Now, now I'm going somewhere with this because some of you are thinking, well, okay, what's, what's he talking about tonight? I'm glad you've asked. Jesus purchased my salvation with his own blood. He's given us a better covenant that's based on better promises. Under, under the old covenant, it was always thou shalt not, right? 
thou shalt not. It's no longer in the new covenant about a bunch of do's and don'ts, but it's about a covenant in which God says, when I get done with you, you won't want what you used to want. That there is a shift in desire. There's something that takes place. Colossians says that it's that it's God in you and through you. That that it's it's God who works in you to both will and do. What does that mean? It means I can't even make myself want this enough. That 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 without the Holy Spirit, I can't even get to God, much less become everything God has called me to be. How many of you are thankful tonight that you don't have to get from point A to point Z on your own, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that draws you into a relationship and then helps you get to where God has called you to be. The cool thing is, is that you can serve God and have fun. Some of y'all need to know that. My goodness, a joke at our house is sometimes I just do, I almost showed you a crazy video I made, but I'm not going to do it because I think somebody would blackmail me uh, with it later. Um, but it was just a funny video that, that I made, and we've all at the house cackled over this stupid video that I made. It's one of those ones, and Zeke, you're not allowed to share it. Eli, you're not allowed to share it. Pastor Cam, will you please not share it? Anyway, it's the one where, like, you, you got the emojis, like, is it a dino or a gator? It's a dino. I, I keep calling it a gator. It's a dino. But you can talk, and then it does what you do. And so I did this crazy video, and, and I, I was telling my family, take your medicine. The Scripture says that laughter doeth good like a medicine. Take your medicine. Some of y'all need to take some medicine. It's called laughter. It's called joy. It's called a smile. It would do you some good. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell him, take your medicine. I can serve God and have a good time. People who are stuck in religion and tradition will make you think that they are holy because of what they have done this week. They make it look good on the outside. Everything looks holy. Everything looks right, but it's all surface. It's a cosmetic gospel. Jesus told the people of his day, he said that sinners and harlots would enter into the kingdom before the religious people did because at least they understood they needed help. That's the words of Jesus. The sinners and the harlots are going to get in before the people that go to the temple because they understand they need help instead of being self-righteous. I believe that we are a new creation, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And the question becomes, what about sin? What, what do we do with sin? When we sin, and how many are trying your best and living in a way that you don't want to sin? Anybody with me on that? Like, we don't want to sin. But, but how many of you in the last year have sinned in some kind of way? All right. I just want to see where my people are at. There's my people. Let me ask that again. How many of you have sinned in the last year? All right, every hand in the building has gone up. And, and the reason is because we can sin in our thought life. <laughs> oh, Lord, only if we could read some of y'all's thoughts. <laughs> My goodness, what you meditate on, what you, man, you'd love to say it, but, you know, I know, I know what we say. If you think it, it ain't, it ain't sin. There are some thoughts that can become sinful. It's not just what we say, 
But, but what do we do when, when we sin? When we sin, it does not mean that we are still stuck in Adam, the first Adam. It simply means that the new man has not reached full maturity yet. That's why God gave us, according to Ephesians 4, the five offices, which are the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. He, he said, I gave those gifts to you for the perfecting of the saints till we all grow in maturity. And so until Jesus comes, how many know we're going we're gonna to continually be growing in maturity? We're going to continually be becoming, becoming who God has called us to be in Christ. In other words, I don't, I don't have one foot in Adam and one foot in Christ. We are in Christ. We are simply moving from glory to glory day by day. It's why Isaiah said, woe in chapter 5, but holy in chapter 6. And while he's preaching this message of woe, and he's in this bad mood, God says, I'm going to show up now that Uzziah's out of the way, and I'm going to give him a glimpse of me that he's never seen before, and his message is going to change after he's encountered me. I'm telling you, one encounter with God will change your speech. It'll change what you're talking about. It'll change what, what you're projecting with your words. God, I, one, of my, one of my prayers this afternoon was, God, give us a glimpse tonight of another realm, of another place in you. When we're stuck in an earthbound mentality, our message is woe. If all we can see is the negative, it probably means we need a new encounter with God. And the truth is, some of you came in here tonight and, and, and all you've been able to talk about is what's wrong, what's not working, all the negative things in your life. You came in a little frustrated, you came in a little down, you came in a little depressed, all of those things. But, but the, the scripture says that we're commissioned by God to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And, and, and here, here's the thing, good news is leaking out of the heavens. But if we are bent over only looking at things on the earth, then we're no longer echoing what's coming out of heaven, but we're echoing what we see in the earth. I need some people that can get up out of this earthbound mentality and say, I'm going to get a glimpse of heaven. I'm going to, I'm going to hear something from heaven and I'm going to speak to what's going on in my earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And so our, our perspective will be gloom, doom, despair, and agony on me. when we're in an earthbound mentality. Are y'all getting anything out of this? I, I, I feel it. If you don't, you can just say, I don't feel that. Y'all ain't gonna say it. Even if something is dead with the right perspective, you understand that anything that is dead can be resurrected. Isaiah specifically saw the Lord high and lifted up in the same year King Uzziah died. Anybody see the connection? Like, he doesn't just say, one day, randomly, he saw the Lord. It says he saw the Lord in the year 
King Uzziah die. What has to die for you to see God in a new way? What, what is it that you, that you keep carrying, you keep talking about, you keep regurgitating, you keep ruminating over and over and over? What is it that has to die so that God can show you a new side of himself. Uh, I, I was reading in Exodus earlier today when Moses said, God, show me your glory. What did he do with Moses? He put him in the cleft of a rock and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass by you and I'm going to let you see a side of me that you've never seen before. I just want to know, is there any people in the room tonight that would say, God, whatever you got to do, whatever has to die, whatever I got to get out of the way so that I can see you in a new way, I'm for it. So there's a definite change here. His entire perspective changes in the year that King Uzziah died. I would rather tell you guys about what I'm hearing out of heaven than what I'm seeing in the earth. We got a lot of preachers. You got to be careful of everybody you listen to. They only want to talk about what you see in the earth. But where are the preachers, where are the men and women of God that, that are seeing beyond what's happening in the earth? If our theology has to change every time a world event happens, our theology's wrong. If you see these guys that are prophesying all the time and they're changing their theology every time a world event happens, turn them off. Turn them off. Wake up. Good news is leaking out of the heavens. The good news is that Jesus came to set us free, to set us free from sin, sickness, poverty, and disease. Good news is leaking out of the heavens. It doesn't matter what gas prices do. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will provide for those that are his. God will do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We just got to get connected to what, what is going on in heaven and stop focusing on what's going on in the earth. Come on, give him a real praise tonight. I feel like preaching this. I do. I feel like preaching this. Sometimes we're echoing the exact opposite of what God is saying. We, we, you, we got preachers now that quote CNN and Fox more than they do the Bible. Man, I'm going to get in trouble. We, we're not live, so I'm good right now. We may not post this one. Jesus said in Mark 11, he said, to have the faith of God. He's talking to his people, said, have the faith of God. What is the faith of God? God spoke to things, and whatever he called it, it became. He spoke to things, and whatever he called it, it became. And Jesus was saying, I want you to have the faith of God. In other words, I want you to function like your heavenly father functions. What does that look like, practically speaking? It looks like when you and I look into the darkness, we need to start calling it light. When we look into lack, we need to call it a blessing. When we look into sickness, we need to call it healed. When we look into the darkest moment of our life, we need to call it our greatest day. We got to start calling the things that are not as though they are. That's what the faith of God is all about. And so if, if something in Isaiah's life had to die in order for him to get a different view of God's majesty. What must die 
in your life? Now, how I many? That's a loaded question. What what must die? An attitude? Ambition? A career? A mindset? What has to die for you to see God differently than you've been seeing him? And, and, and if we're going to look at that, then we gotta, we got to look at why it was Uzziah dying that Isaiah saw God. And if you look at Uzziah in Scripture, in 2 Chronicles chapter number 26, let me, let me just paraphrase this instead of reading it all because I want to I get to where I'm going quick, quickly. In verse 4 of this text, it says that, talking about Uzziah, let me read the first verse to you anyway. It says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and they made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Okay? 16 years old, he becomes king. Now let me say about Uzziah, God's hand is on him. He's anointed He's positioned by God. He did some really good things for the kingdom. Look at verse 4. It says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. How many of you can see this was a man who loved the Lord, right? You can see it. He did what was right. Verse 7 says, God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabs who lived in Ger, Ger Baal, and against the Meunites. But in verse 10, there's another verse that we need to bring attention to. It says, he also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So there's a few things that we get from Uzziah. He died, Isaiah sees God. Let's talk about Uzziah real quick. Point one of Uzziah, the first thing King Uzziah represents is the old man. King Uzziah represents the old man. When the old man Uzziah died, Isaiah saw God. The reason we spend so much time talking to you about crucifying the flesh is because if I don't crucify the flesh, I don't have time to preach this tonight, but if I don't crucify the flesh and walk in the newness that God has given to me, I'm going to miss what God has for me. In short, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. How many? There's got to be a, a crucifixion to who we used to be. If we're going to experience God, in a new way. I could preach that all night, but we don't have time for it. Second point of Uzziah. Uzziah was known for the cisterns he built. Now, this is important. Verse 10, some translations will say wells, but it was actually cisterns that Uzziah, that he, he hewed out, the Bible says, many cisterns. Cisterns are different than wells. As a matter of fact, today I picked up my phone as I was finishing up this message and I said, I'm not going to do it now, she'll start talking to me. Uh, I need to turn that off. Um, but I asked Siri, I asked her, what's the difference between a cistern and a well? And Siri replied back and gave me some articles. The first one that I clicked on said the difference 
between a cistern and a well is that a cistern is a container which is used for the purpose of storing water. On the other hand, on the other hand, a well taps into a supply of water like a spring or underground stream. Cisterns are designed to store water, but wells tap into an existing water source. With that definition, Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which cannot hold water. King Uzziah is known for cisterns, not wells. So the Uzziah move of God, um, what it does is it creates, you gotta, you gotta try, I need you to, to go deep with me for just a second. It creates need-oriented people. Need-oriented people. And what I mean by that is, is that many of us, we, we have become more cistern than we have well. We, 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 we've not made wells, we've made cisterns, and we're all motivated by need. Therefore, I want you to watch me, pay attention to this, many gifted preachers have become celebrities because we're need-oriented. And we've hewn out for ourselves cisterns that cannot hold water instead of becoming a well that is tapped into another stream, Jesus said, up out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And, and so we w- walk with me for just a second. I'm going to make this make sense. I believe there, that there is a cry coming from the American church as a whole that people are going to get to a place, and in many places it's already happening, where they want to see a side of God they haven't seen before. That, that, that it will not be need-oriented. They will not be cisterns, but they will be wells. But most Sunday services across this nation are geared toward maintaining the people that we have. But God has not called us to maintain the people we have, but he's called us to go into the world and make disciples. But because we have cisterns and not wells, what happens is, is that we have a group of people that are so need-oriented that those who are gifted to minister, preach, pastor, evangelize, teach, are worn out because we're dealing with cisterns when God wants us to be wells. Are y'all getting this? And, and because we're cisterns and cannot hold water, or we can hold enough just from Sunday to Sunday. And then we're empty again. And so we got all this need and we place all this demand. And I hear stories every week of another minister who has fallen or another minister who has made a mistake or another minister who has quit preaching the gospel. And it's because we've created environments where the people are so needy and you pour out and you pour out and you pour out and they still got just as much need the next week as they had the week before that because we're not building up wells, we're building up cisterns that can't hold anything. Thing, and our preachers are getting worn out. They're falling. And then we all sit back and talk bad about them. Not knowing you wore them out. You're the reason they quit. 
They poured out everything they could pour out, and it wasn't enough. And it's because we are so need-oriented. We're cisterns that can't hold water. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a cistern. I want to be a well. I remember when Jesus met the woman at the well who was broken at best, had been with several different men, married several times. Now she's living with a man who's not her husband, and she asked Jesus for a drink. And Jesus gave her a drink, and it wasn't just that he satisfied her thirst, but he built in her a well. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the Bible says that she left the well, and she went, and she evangelized her entire town, and they all got saved. That's the kind of people I'm looking for. I want to see some people that leave this building and go lay hands on the sick at work. I want to see some people that can give a word in season to those that are down and out, that just aren't coming for a Sunday to get their cup filled, but they're getting their cup filled so that their cup can overflow everywhere they go. That's what we're looking for. I was praying last Wednesday and... I was getting ready to preach, and I did a walk. I walked out of my hotel, and I just did a lap. I was just put earbuds in, was just spending some time with God. And I was praying in the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I'm sharing this tonight because I feel like it's for somebody in this room tonight. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, The well in you has deepened as the difficulty around you has intensified. He said, as the difficulty has intensified, you have tapped into a new level of my presence. You will now overflow with rivers of healing, rivers of deliverance, and rivers of miracles. I don't know who else that's for, but I'm going to take it again this week because I believe that some of you have been in the fire, but what you don't know is while you've been in the fire and wondering where is God and what is he doing and why hasn't this changed, what you don't see happening is that God has been deepening your well. And your well is not just going to fill up. Your well is going to overflow. And those around you are going to be impacted by your well. Third thing, third thing. Worship team, come. This will help me land the plane quickly. Uzziah represents the fading move of God. The fading move of God. I'm not taking a shot at Uzziah because the Bible says that God was with him. God helped him. He did incredible things. All of that is true. But sometimes in order, in order for you and I to tap into the new, something in the present has to die. And I think sometimes we get caught in between the new and the old. And we're being pulled back and forth. The fading move of God, it's not a negative. It's just saying God did that, he's done. I'm doing something new. Are you willing to let go of what I did so that you can embrace what I want to do? But we get caught in the in-between where we got one foot in the old move of God and one foot in the new move of God and we're just not sure exactly what we should do with it. But the Bible says that in 2 Chronicles 26 in verses 14 and 15, it says, Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings, 
to cast stones, and he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows at large stones. And, and so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. So the, the point is, God helped Uzziah. It was what God was doing in his life. It was what God was doing in that season. But one of the biggest mistakes we often make is thinking that what we are in is the ultimate. Not knowing that what we're in is only preceding what God is about to do. And God always exceeds himself. He doesn't do less than. God always does more than. Enough. And so this move of God is fading away. And it's not that we should be mad that one move is is coming to an end because if God is bringing one thing to an end, it's because he's got something brand new on his mind that he wants to bring into your now. God wants to bring us to a place of maturity. And when I say he wants to bring us to a place of maturity, I want you to, I want, I hope we've done this here in this house. I I feel that we have. I I want to expose you all to different voices. It's the whole reason why we brought Curry Blake in in May. Do I think Curry Blake has it all? No. Paul made it very clear. We know in part and we prophesy in part. Does Curry Blake have a piece of the puzzle? Yes. Does Chad Dingus have a piece of the puzzle? Yes. Do you have a piece of the puzzle? Yes. Does, does, does Kevin Wallace have a piece of the puzzle? Yes. Does Joe Dobbins have a piece? Anybody I would bring in here, we all have a piece, but it's when we all bring our piece of the puzzle together. So, so you, you see people sometimes, they get, they get, you know, they get baptized into a ministry and they think they have it all. They don't have it all. They have a part. They have a part. How many of you understand the whole concept of we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? I can take something good from almost every ministry. It doesn't mean that I just make that everything, but I do take the parts that I feel they're bringing to the puzzle in my life. And I'm saying you need those different voices. You need, when we bring other speakers in, it's because they have a piece of the puzzle We know in part, we prophesy in part. And so when one end, when one move of God is coming to an end, it's only ending. And and I'm just going to go ahead and prophetically say this. What God had been doing here in Bethesda Church for many, many years, I believe we've been caught in the middle of two seasons. And so we we, we, we can, if we're not careful, we can get stuck in thinking, Okay, well, God did all these beautiful things back here. Not understanding if, if, if what he was doing, if that came to an end, it's only because God has something brand new he wants to birth. I don't want to be caught between two seasons. If God's done with this, I'm ready to do this. Are y'all with me? I, I mean, the old wineskin can't hold the new wine. So so what does that mean? It means it's not going to look like it did, but it's going to look better than it did. It's going to look better than it did. Now, now watch this. He's not a duplicator. God's not a duplicator. He's a creator. 
He always exceeds himself. And sometimes he'll bring something to your life to an end. And we want to recreate what he did. We want to duplicate what he did. If we could just go back and, and, and or just do what we did then, now, then we can duplicate. But God's like, I, I don't do duplicate. The devil's in the duplication stuff. I create. I, I breathe new life into things. And so we walk around cursing, rebuking the wall that's in front of us. I rebuke the wall, and I, I bind the devil. And, I you know, we, we're speaking to stuff, and God's saying, you're speaking to this, and I put the wall there because that's over. You're trying to bind this wall, loose this wall, nothing's moving. It's because God's saying, I brought something to an end. But God is saying tonight, if you could ever climb up that wall you're rebuking, that wall you're loosing and binding and casting out, if you could ever climb to the top of it and look over, I'll give you access to another realm. We're trying to rebuke many times what God is using to take us to the next level. I didn't know it was going to come, become this prophetic tonight, but I, do y'all feel that? Like, does it feel prophetic to you? The last thing he was known for, Uzziah was known for warfare. He was a rock-throwing, devil-stomping kind of guy. The Bible says God helped him. Most people's idea of spiritual warfare is chasing devils. Most people have more to say about the devil than they do God. But I came to tell some people tonight that the devil has already been defeated and he doesn't stand a chance. When you start doing warfare from the heavenly realm, you're not trying to get the victory, but the victory has already been won. We don't have to cry, whoa, whoa, whoa. The fight is fixed. It's a sure thing. It may feel like a Friday night, but Sunday is on the way. It may feel like a graveyard, but it's really just a garden. What looks dead is about to be raised up again. Your Uzziah must die so that you can embrace the new thing God is doing in your life. If you believe it, give him a praise tonight. Come on, give him a praise tonight. Man, I had, a, I had a lot more to give y'all. One of the ingredients, Erica talked tonight about the atmosphere. And I could just see, I sensed it on Sunday as well. It was just an atmosphere. It's like, oh, God, you're here. You're here. When we talk about atmospheres, one of the things in the Old Testament that you see in the incense offering, there was a, a substance called Galbanum. And galbanum was used as an insect repellent. And they they would use it in the incense offering and they would pour it out on the priest. And I love that. The reason is because how I many of the devil, Belzebub, Lord of the Flies, we don't have to chase the devil because when we praise God, it is like spraying raid in the spirit. In other words, the devil and all the demonic flies cannot stay in the realm where there is praise, where there is worship, 
When you praise God, demons have to go. The demon of depression has to go when I lift my voice. When I clap my hands, that demon of addiction cannot have a hold on me. When I praise God, the demon that has caused confusion and distraction has to go in the name of Jesus. It's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says that there is dead flies in the anointing. And I always looked at that as like a negative, like if there's dead flies in the anointing, you got to get the dead flies out. No, what it's telling you is that the anointing of praise and worship is so strong that when the devil comes, when the Lord of the flies come, they all die in the anointing. There are some things about to die in the anointing tonight. There's some things that's, that, that needs to get out of your life that God is saying that if you'll praise me, if you'll worship me, if you'll lift your voice to me, I'll call some things that has distracted you, some things that has dried up your relationship with me. I'll cause those things to die so that you can see me like Isaiah did in a way to where you're no longer talking about the woe on the earth, but you're talking about the holy in the heaven. Somebody give him a praise right there if you believe the word of God tonight. Come on, give him a praise up out of your mouth. Come on, give him a praise out of your mouth. I'm going to have the worship team come. James, you could come get all this. I'm sorry. I got stuff everywhere. Thank you. The worship team's getting ready to come and lead us again in worship. But I sense the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. Some of you are, you, you just need a touch from God. And I don't believe you have to leave here without it. I believe that you can leave here knowing you have not only heard a word, and this word is going to change your life, but, but you're also going to be able to leave here saying, I've been in his presence. I've been in his presence. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm probably going to come by and pray for some people and things like that, but I don't really know how to do it. I mean, we got this big old room. Thankful for this giant room, which means we got plenty of space for you to spread out. Come to this altar. Spend some time in the prayer. I, I want to speak right now first. Uh, I got to do, I want to obey God right here. One of the things we learned back in May when Curry, Blake, and them were here, there was two ways that we see healing ministered. It was the laying on of hands. It was the word of command. We either lay hands on people or we, we speak over people. So right now, if you're, if you're sick in body, right there where you are, would you just lift your hands right there where you are? If there's something going on in your physical body right now and you know this shouldn't be here, come on, lift both hands. That's a sign of surrender. Father, we, in accordance to your word, right now in this moment, it's not about what we feel, it's not about hype. It's about the fact that you already paid that by your stripes, we are healed. So Father, tonight, in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name, I don't have to run two laps and sweat all over your people, but one word can drive sickness out. So, Father, I command now in the name of Jesus, every sick 
body be healed in Jesus' name. I command your body to come into alignment with the word of God, to be healed, to be made whole. In the name of Jesus, I command sickness to go. I command the spirit of infirmity to go in Jesus' name. And we release healing over this house, over every single person. I speak life right now in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no right. You have no right. We command you to loose your hold. Sickness go. Healing be released all over this room now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Physically, if you have something going on that you couldn't do, I would, I would just dare you right now to start doing what you couldn't do. Start doing what you couldn't do in the name of Jesus. If it was a pain in your back, if it was something in a shoulder, if it was a neck pain, if it was a stomach issue, come on, test it out. Test it out. We're made overcomers by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. Start doing what you couldn't do. If you got to bend over, then bend over. Whatever it is, you gotta, got to exercise your faith. God is healing people right now. He is healing people right now in Jesus' name. Listen, it doesn't have to be weird. I grew up where everything had to be weird. It don't have to be weird. The Holy Spirit is in the room. Jesus loves you very much. He knows the number of hairs on your head. If you have a back pain, he's, he, he wants to heal that. If you got pain in your knees, God wants to heal that. If you got a pain in your stomach, God wants to heal that. If you have headaches or migraine, God wants to heal that. In the name of Jesus, whatever it is, high blood pressure, we command it to come down in the name of Jesus. Diabetes be healed in the name of Jesus. Come on, exercise your faith right now, church. Exercise your faith. Do what you couldn't do. Be healed, be whole. In Jesus' name. How many of you would just wave at me and say, you know God has physically touched you? Come on, I see those hands, hands, hands. I see all those hands. Come on, church, you need to celebrate that. You need to celebrate that. The other thing I want you all to, to learn, it's not about me. That's why I didn't come down to lay hands on every person. It's about him. He's the one that Isaiah saw if you know God physically touched you and healed you right now, I know I told you earlier to go tell, I want you to tell somebody, God, God healed me, God touched me, I know he did. Go tell them, go tell them. If it's somebody said, go tell them, celebrate with them. Blood of the lamb, word of your testimony. Blood of the lamb, word of your testimony. Yeah, share that testimony. Now, I don't, you say, what's he gonna do? I don't know. None of this was planned. The other thing I want you to know is that some of you have been around the Holy Spirit a long time and you're like, they, you know, I want this gift. Everybody else seems to do that. I want that gift. 
Jesus wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he's more than just a tongue. He comes with tongues, but how many know the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift is the Holy Spirit. You had the Holy Spirit when you got saved. He takes up residence. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when that river of living waters, Jesus, will flow up out of your belly. And it flows up out of your belly in a language that you did not learn. And it's powerful. If you, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you say, you know what, I want the gift. I'm ready to receive it. I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come up front. I'm going to get out of the way in a second. Or I'm going to be up here all night holding a microphone. But I want you to make your way if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. Come on, don't be shy. God's presence is in the house. His presence is in the house. And, and, and I, I want to show you all this. Look at this, church. Celebrate these people that are saying, I want the power of the Holy Spirit. This is good. This is good. Now, now here's what I need. I'm going to do a prayer, and then I'm going to leave. But I want Pastor Charles and, and Pastor Esther and Pastor Karen and Pastor Jeremy and Ashley, some of you all, to, to start praying with these people and don't be crazy don't we don't have to say hold on let go and hit their chin none of that stuff it's just in the name of Jesus be filled all right it's that simple it's a word it's and for some of you right now God God could do it right here father in the name of Jesus God we thank you for the gift and the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues God I pray that the gift be poured out God upon upon your people right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, what's going to happen is you're going to start hearing words that don't make sense. And the same way you get saved by faith is the same way you pray in the Holy Spirit. It's by faith. That first syllable may not make sense. The second one may make less sense. But it's by faith I begin to give voice to that which the Holy Spirit is giving me to say. So, Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus, baptize them in the Holy Ghost and with fire in the name of Jesus. Come on, prayer team. Come on, y'all begin praying. Worship team, let's sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.